The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. We're jumping into a new series called Say It. We're going to be in Luke 17. But before we jump into that, um, I want to make a couple of comments. We um, do something in the fall called Fight Hunger, where we set a goal. And this year we talked about 10,000 pounds of food and $10,000 that we donate in partnership with the Marysville Food Bank to the Marysville Food Bank. And this year, I want to celebrate that our financial goal, you guys, we blew out of the water. And so if you were part of giving, we were able to collect over $13,500 towards the food bank. So come on, that's something to celebrate. It's awesome. Now, on the other side, I do want to mention that as far as pounds of food, we gathered up almost 8,000 pounds of food, which is really good. At the same time, it is short of our goal of 10,000. So what we did was, in our conversation this week, we said, you know what, why don't we just leave it open this Sunday, encourage people that if you were here last week and you weren't able to give or bring some stuff, maybe you forgot to, or maybe you just didn't come last week, but you can make it happen this week, that would be awesome. So some of you already heard about it through our e-news or through Facebook, and you brought some things, but if you didn't, I would encourage you, maybe head down to the grocery store on your way out of here today, grab some things, bring them back, and um, we're going to try to meet that goal of 10,000 pounds. Um, because, and again, for all of us, there's just an angst in all of us about like, man, people should not be going without food in our communities. Can I hear an amen? amen. So anyway, um, <clears throat> that's that. Uh, some of you are in this room and you love Halloween and, and you're, you're in that category of people that you're already looking on Pinterest for what your decorations are going to look like next year. You're trying to figure out like what costume in the springtime or in the summertime and you're like working with your family on like, can we do like a family costume thing and all this fun and you're out there trying to get great, get, uh, you know, trick or treat treats and people come to your door and you love scaring kids and giving them candy and you even keep a number on like, man, last year we had 67 kids. I'm open for 80 this year and I've got enough candy. You love, love, love Halloween, and that's you, and that's great. And then what happens is the clock strikes midnight, and all of a sudden, it's a whole nother season, and it goes something like this, and feel free to sing along. Come on. Over the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtails ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Done! Now... What happens is some of you miss that there are rules to this kind of thing. Now, how many of you out there go, October 31st, it is Halloween, that's great. November 1st, Christmas time. Raise your hands. Where are you at? Okay, keep your hands up. All right, now, how many of you in this room would go, no, 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 that's not November 1st. You got to leave a little room for me. Get to mid-month, get to November like 16th, and we're good. Raise your hands. Anybody out there? Okay, a few of you in that category. Now, how many of you would go, you know what? Here's the law. The law, the rule goes like this. Thanksgiving's over, then we can celebrate Christmas. Raise your hands, okay? Hey, now, now hold on. You're not any better than anyone else. Just calm down a second. Slow your roll, all right? How many of you say it's the month of December? That's when you celebrate Christmas, all right? Now, how many of you guys go, Christmas Day only, that's it. That's all you get. Anyone? Yeah, you Scrooge, bah hum. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Now, now, hang on. On the other end of the spectrum, though, there's people in this room that you go, 
I've been watching Hallmark Channel since summertime and Christmas music since July. Anybody in here? Yeah, you have a sickness and you should leave. You should get out. Okay, no, just kidding. Uh, but here's the thing. My point is this. Thanksgiving every single year, more and more, like it's mowed over by Christmas. I know neighbors that already have lights up and trees in the window and all that stuff going on. And, and, and it's crazy to me. But anyway, um, I want to take the next couple of weeks and what I want to do is I want to talk about being thankful. It's not necessarily about the holiday of Thanksgiving. And yeah, it's great to get together and we all overeat and take naps and then eat again in the evening and it's wonderful. But anyway, um, but I want to talk about thankfulness. And, and we're going to start here in Luke chapter 17. I always encourage you that if you have a physical Bible, I think it's good to bring it and be familiar with the pages and where things are at. Of course, if you got a smartphone with the Bible app, that's fine too. And um, I want to encourage you that there's some notes there in the seat in front of you that we encourage note taking. And especially if you're in a life group, it's really meant to, to generate some conversations, some thoughts. And so you can write it down. But it's for, those are for everybody. But uh, Luke chapter 17, and we're going to start here in verse 11. <clears throat> now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Lord, today as we pray momentarily, God, my prayer is always that the Bible, the scriptures, these words, this story would come alive in all of our hearts, especially as we talk about the value of this word thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting in verse 11, it says that Jesus was um, on his way to Jerusalem and he was traveling along the border, keep this in mind, along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now you're talking about two separate people groups, two separate really kind of nationalities, and there was a problem between the two. And we'll get to that here soon enough. It says, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And it says, they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. The reason they stood at a distance is because back in Jesus' day, there were laws that said if you had certain skin disease, if you had leprosy, you were required by law to stay away from all these other individuals because leprosy should not be spread. And because you're a leper, you have to keep your distance. So they, they were removed. Think about this from like the whole idea of, of like carrying on a regular job around all these other normal people. They weren't allowed to socializing, even the idea of hugging family members that you love or care about, you're not allowed to. They had certain areas that they had to live in, leper colonies, which by the way, still exist in some parts of the world today, but anyway, um, had leper colonies, and, and that's where they existed all together with other lepers. They weren't allowed to be around everybody else and mingle among common people. And so this is kind of uh, the moment. It says they stood at a distance and all of a sudden Jesus is there and it says they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. 
And again, I, I bring this up because you and I, I want to talk about this for a moment. You and I may not have leprosy. You and I may have no idea what it's like to live in a certain group of people where you're not allowed to be around the general population. But here's what we ought to know. The sting of sin in the world that every single one of us has a problem with separates us from a holy God, puts every single one of us in a place where, as Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is none of us is worthy in God's sight, whether you look at your sin and go, well, there's some sin, or you look at your sin and go, there's like a mountain of sin. It doesn't matter. Sin is a great equalizer because none of us is worthy before God to bring anything to him in our sin. And so we ought to pray really in that same spirit as these individuals who were plagued with leprosy, Jesus, have pity on us. There was a certain humility that these individuals carry before Jesus because they had leprosy and were only worthy to come before God because of the cross. It says in verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Notice Jesus, they brought their request to him and Jesus didn't deal with their need immediately. And I, I want to just mention this, that for you and, I, you and I, when we pray about certain things, man, it's amazing how we, we pray and we want something immediate. And just like these guys, they didn't receive their healing immediately, but they did do something that you and I need to be very aware of. They didn't receive healing, but what they did do was what Jesus asked them to do. And I've got to be honest, in a world where it's about me, myself, and I, where it's about what I want, when I want it, when it's about, you know, if it feels good, do it, or whatever that might be, we need to be aware that the Spirit of God, that the Bible says lives inside of us as followers of Christ, is at times convicting us of things where Jesus says, don't do that anymore, that's sin. Be aware of that problem in your life or do more of this. It's why we say every week at the Grove Church, if you're literate, you need to be a reader of the scriptures because I believe the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us will come alive and illuminate certain things about the Bible where you literally can begin to know Jesus is telling me, stop doing that. Jesus is saying, don't be in involved with that anymore. Or on the other end, I want you to do more of this. Be more like that. So I can't under, under, uh, underscore the importance of you and I being readers of Scripture. But it says when, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And they did that, and they got to receive something that's amazing. And I think it's true for, for us as well. When you and I walk in obedience, I happen to believe that as you and I do what's right, when God asks us to be obedient to him and we surrender, that there are things that God wants to do that we won't receive unless we're willing to walk in obedience. So they did what they were asked by faith, and it says that they were cleansed. Can you imagine? Like, these guys are outcasts. These guys, like, they're not allowed to be around anybody. And as they're walking, apparently, all 10 of them, before they even get to the priests, before that even happened, they were all cleansed. Can you imagine that moment where you realize your life now gets to be very different? You get to hug the people you've been wanting to hug. You get to be around people you've been wanting to be around and weren't allowed to. Your life is now different. I don't know about you. I'd be doing cartwheels if I could. At least summer stalls. I'd be, I'd be dancing. I'd be leaping and yelling. and Like David, like stripping off the clothes. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, not that, that, you know. 
But like, you ever read that word dance like David dance? There's a song about that and you like get naked. Like, whoa, 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 hold on. Unless you're in the privacy of your own home with all the blinds drawn, please don't ever do that. But as a pastor, we will visit you in jail. Okay, so just a heads up. It says this, that they were all cleansed. But I want you to notice in verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Only one? Ten of them were healed. Why not all ten? And I have a reason I'm going to get to, I think, in a moment. But only one comes back. And I think about that. Dear Lord, I want to be the kind of person that's like the one. I don't want to be like the others that, you know, here, God do this for me and God does it. I never say thank you. And we live in a world where we go and we go and we go and we're busy and we have responsibility. We've got to be here and then there and do this and do that. And we become so busy in the world that we live in that our faith becomes, hey, Lord, help me with this. Hey, God, would you do that? Hey, God, I could use something here. Jesus, help me with that situation. Provide a breakthrough there. And we just keep on going, not even being aware that God might have answered our prayers. Are you like that? Do you find yourself bringing things to the Lord in, in prayer requests that you care about? And yet you never even realize God might have answered because your life just kept going? Or you realize God answered, but you never stopped to say, God, thank you so much. Only one out of 10 came back. It says, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. And it says, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was so grateful that he was bold about it. He was so grateful that he fell at the feet of it. Have you ever been in a spot where you're either so desperate for God to do something that you've fallen on your knees or you've noticed God bring an answer that you needed and you were so thankful that you fell on your knees in gratitude? Amen. See, we live in a world where that's not us. No, no, I don't do that kind of thing. We don't really do that in church. I get nervous every single time that Jordan's leading us in worship and he's doing a great job and it's going awesome and there's a lyric that comes up on the screen that we're supposed to sing. Lord, I bow before you or whatever it might be. I get nervous because here's what I know. None of us are gonna do it. It sounds great. The lyric, oh, that's off, very spiritual. But we're not gonna actually do it. I mean, heaven forbid. What would people think if right where you're sitting, you just bowed on your knees for a moment? Boy, they're pitiful. Boy, what do they need? Boy, they must be broken. What are we thinking? That there's a lyric that would say, I bow, and we don't get to bow. Very rarely does somebody get out of the seat they're sitting in, and maybe you're on the end, or maybe you're in the middle, and you, excuse me, pardon me. But very rarely does anybody ever come up while the music's playing and, and, and we're worshiping the Lord together, and it's bad. it happens. But I don't think it happens nearly as often as maybe it should. When was the last time you were so desperately in need or you were so desperately grateful that you could just fall on your knees and go, God, thank you for doing that in my life. Or Lord Jesus, would you please? A couple of months ago, I was at a Mariners game with Jordan and, and I invited my boys to come along. So Jack and Hudson. So the four of us are there. Man, they're in great seats and um, just two seats, two rows up from the dugout and it was the New York Yankees. So my son Hudson, who's eight, he just turned eight, he was seven. He, he would just kid, hey, Aaron Judge, will you sign my ball? 
Hey, Aaron Judge, will you sign my ball just constantly? Anyway, so the game wears on, and we're eating snacks and stuff, and he gets out a Tootsie Roll. And it wasn't the really small ones, but it wasn't the huge ones. It was like the inch and a half ones or whatever, two inches. And I look at him, I go, bud, don't put all that in at once, okay? You're going to choke. And so we're watching the game and cheering on the Mariners and stuff, and all of a sudden, I look over, and Hudson looks up at me, and he's choking. And I'm like, oh, no. And so all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, we need help, medical help. We need help. And I grab him, and I'm trying to do the Heimlich, and Jordan's banging on his back, and Jack's sitting there going, dad, dad, somebody help my brother. Somebody help. And it was like 45 seconds of like, this thing has got to come out. And my son Jack goes, daddy's turning blue. And here we are at the Mariners game, and we got like, there's a medical professional a few seats down that just comes out of nowhere. There's people that work there coming out of the tunnel right over here, and they're coming out to help us. And there's medical people coming from the, the concourse down the aisleway to help us. And the whole Yankee dugout's like looking at us and like, help! Somebody just help! Can I just tell you something? In that moment, I couldn't give a rip what anyone thinks. I want my son to survive. I will call out as loud as I need to to get the best person to get that dumb thing lodged from his throat. And 45 seconds later, it came up, and the rest of the game, I was a mess. Your adrenaline's going, you're freaking out, all of a sudden, he lived, great. But it's that moment where I don't care what people think. When will we get to a point in our faith where if if we need to bow down, why wouldn't we? And whether it's out of gratitude or deep need, dear Jesus, let's be humble enough. Like this guy who was cleansed from leprosy, life changer. Cleansed from leprosy. And it says that, that he had processed, and I'm going to get to this. He had processed something that you and I need to be aware of. Now, look at this. It says, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Look at the next five words. And he was a Samaritan. Why is that in there? Why does it say that? Do you remember a minute ago that I had read at the beginning, it says Jesus was going to Jerusalem on the border between um, Samaria and Galilee? This goes back to where there would have been basically not only a border, but, but a, a racial divide, okay? There were the Israelites, the Jews on, on, on one area over here, and the Samaritans, and they don't associate. And there were even traditional laws written about how they have got to be separated and separate. And what I love is that this picture is painted about a guy that, according to certain traditions, Jesus shouldn't even been talking to. And he says to all the, le- let alone lepers that are Samaritans, like, whoa, that's like doubly bad. But here's Jesus who says, go to the priest. Okay. And they're healed and one comes back. And I love that it says he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Let me ask you this. Are there people in your life that drive you bonkers that you can't stand to be around? You're like, I'm looking at them right now. Anyway, so are there people like you literally go, I have to, I have to, I don't like them, but I have to work with them because they're there. They're in my family. I'm related to them. And I just wish I wasn't, you know, whatever. Or there, or are there even, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, people groups. Like we get weird sometimes. We won't say it out loud. We have certain thoughts about those people or those or whatever. And, and yet here's what happens. A Samaritan bows at Jesus' feet and says, thank you. But but here's what it is. He let go of the reason to be divided. He let go of all the pride of, we don't associate. They're better or they're better, we're better, we're better, or whatever it was, but they don't associate. And sometimes in our lives, there's that someone that we just don't like for whatever reasons we sort of have, and they do something nice for us. They do something good to us. And we don't go, oh, thank you so much. You're incredible. 
man, I really judged you wrong. We're cool. No, no, we go, thanks. And in our minds, we're like, why did they do that? What was their angle? They're trying to get a raise of promotion, trying to make themselves look good in front of the boss, somebody they're attracted to. I mean, why did they do that? Instead of simply laying down our own pride against why we don't care for that person. Like this Samaritan who came back to Jesus, I would imagine humbly. Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Even Jesus is like, this guy's an outsider. And you can imagine there's other people around, but here's this guy that's healed. And and, and I would imagine the other nine were happy to be healed. We all would be. But I really believe that this one individual had a different thought. And I think it may have gone something like this. Jesus told us to go to the priest. We did, and we were healed. And I need to say thank you, even though it means as a Samaritan, admitting there's something to Jesus and his way of faith. I really believe there was something deeper going on because verse 19, to me, provides a little clue into it. Then Jesus said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. You're like, wait a minute, wasn't he already healed? What's, so he just gets doubly healed? No, 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 no. You need to understand something. Made you well is the key. It's a phrase you need to get, okay? It means made whole. All of them were cleansed. All of them were healed. But only this one was made whole, meaning this. He believed in what Jesus had to say and expressed it through his gratitude and was made right with God, literally forgiven. Only one. But this one received something far more than than just the other nine that that didn't come back to say thanks. Now, I happen to kind of lean towards that probably the other nine didn't want to go back because they knew we're different. We don't associate with one another. I don't need to go back and say thanks. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm moving on with life. But that's the power, you guys, of gratitude. That's the power, I fully believe, that, that takes us to a whole other place in our faith. That, to me, is the power of gratitude. And let me take it a step further. Listen to this. This word gratitude, thankfulness, thanks, being thankful, this idea, all comes from a root word in the Greek that is this, eucharistos. Now, some of you go, big deal. But you got to understand, if you've been familiar with church world for any length of time, it might ring a bell, the Eucharist. Some of you might know that the Eucharist is what we celebrate in this church as communion, the Holy Eucharist. In other words, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, the cup of thanksgiving. Why do I say that? Because over and over and over, Paul 46 times writes to individuals and to churches in all the letters we have in the scriptures, 46 times Paul writes of this word in talking about you and I and our need in an ongoing way to be thankful. The center of our gratitude begins with the work of Christ and goes out from there. I am always thankful, no matter what's going on in my life, always grateful that Jesus forgives me, saved me, redeemed me, gives me a hope for eternity. That's always the case. And I'm grateful for all these other things. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. 
We just navigated through the book of Colossians in our previous series, and I want to give you some, some maybe a little repetition here, but Paul says it in, in Colossians this way. In chapter 1, verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Chapter 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Oh, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's just Colossians. Now I want to look at Philippians, and this is a pretty famous verse for some of us, but Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts. Why does he add that there? Why couldn't he just say, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God, because that's what we're doing. But he includes with thanksgiving, and I believe there's a core reason that I'm getting to, okay? Romans chapter one. Romans is a rather lengthy letter that Paul wrote to the churches in, the Rome, uh, in, uh, in Rome, and, and he builds a systematic case for why Jesus is the Messiah, and he builds it from chapter one all the way through chapter 16. It's a phenomenal read. It's challenging at times, but it's systematic. In chapter one, what he does, though, is he starts with the problem. And the problem, as he puts it, is this. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men and women who suppress, their truth, suppress his truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the beginning of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from that which was made so that men are without excuse, okay? So he builds this case about God's wrath, but then he says this, here's why. They, they knew he was God, but they didn't glorify him as God or give thanks to him. In, in Paul's building of the case, as to why sin is such a big problem, he says this. One of the complaints is they had hard hearts that stopped giving thanks to God. The power of thankfulness, you guys, is this. When we come to prayer in a spirit of thankfulness, we no longer come to God going, God, you better. God, you ought to. God, because I did, you should. God, because of this or that. We don't come in prayer with a spirit of entitlement. And what thankfulness does is brings it back to the root. God, you are amazing. God, you are awesome. God, you refuse to leave me or forsake me. God, you are always with me. God, when I'm faithless, you are faithful. And Lord, when I come to prayer, I come humbly. Lord, I may not deserve this, but God, would you provide a breakthrough? God, I may not deserve this, but Jesus, would you, would you bring deliverance here? Would you open a window? Would you do something incredible? I don't deserve it, God goes back to the lepers when they saw Jesus. Lord, just have, to have pity. It's not because I earned it. I don't deserve any of it. But God, would you? And that's the difference when you include gratitude into your life on a regular basis. The main idea 
of the New Testament when it comes to gratitude is this. We ought to live in a state of ongoing thankfulness. Every day. It's not just one day. Who cares that it gets mowed over by Christmas if it's one day? But you know what? We're called to live thankful every day. Here's the deal, though. Sometimes for God's blessing in our lives, sometimes it's a raise at work. Sometimes it's a scripture that comes alive. Sometimes it's being healthy, getting a good grade on a test. That person you like likes you back. Having children, enjoying conversation with a faithful friend, being healthy, getting a better car or newer, more reliable car or whatever. Sometimes it's those things. But sometimes we aren't healed. And sometimes we get laid off. And sometimes the Bible doesn't come alive in us. We just read it. And sometimes the person you like would rather just be friends. And sometimes the health isn't intact. And sometimes there aren't kids. And sometimes people are mad at us. And sometimes our car continues to be sketchy and leave us stranded. Yet we can still be thankful because some of the things that God has given to us can never be taken away. And at the core, that's what matters. What is that? It goes back to the gospel. What God has done through the work of Christ, that will never go away. That's never going to leave. I love that we read in the reading plan this last week that even when we're faithless, he's faithful. I'm grateful for that because that can never be taken away. And you know what else? That even if I face the end of my life, that what God has prepared in eternity is amazing, even though I don't see it all today. A couple of my favorite verses have always been Philippians 1, 20 and 21. For I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by death or by life. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, when we talk about having an ongoing spirit of thankfulness, here's the key. It's living in a spirit of contentment. Paul writes this as he's challenging the next generation of church leadership in Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. How about you? Can you say that? How about me? Can I say that? That if all I have is is things to cover me and stay warm and meals to eat, that I'm content? Because in the world we live in, it's not always the case. As we're going over these notes, Andrew typed in some things I wanted to share with you. And he said this, I cannot operate with gratitude if I operate out of a comparing spirit, always comparing what I have to others. I wish I had the bigger house. I wish I had more things. I wish, I wish. However, when I compare myself to what others have, I lose the attitude of contentment and I begin to complain rather than to lift up. I begin to take for granted the gifts and blessings right before my eyes. I have a friend I've known for 26 plus years now that a couple of decades ago, they battled cancer and overcame and and lived in remission for a lot of years and things were awesome. 
and they moved away from here. So we kind of lost touch like friends kind of do at times. And, and, and I, I saw them on Facebook and then taking different travels and enjoying certain gatherings with friends and stuff like that. And just fun to watch that. And, and yet too, like the whole Christ-centered life thing. And then I just found out a week ago, and I wish I knew longer than that, but I just found out a week ago that this person is facing the end of their life and they're battling cancer again. And literally right now they're on hospice. And I had to look last night before uh, I, I could preach this message just to see like, are they still alive right now? And yet, you know what I noticed on their, their Facebook posts? Yeah, remembering and being grateful for all those things they got to enjoy. But you know what they're grateful for today? That even as they face the end, that they're comforted by eternity. See, I've said flippantly at different times. I don't mean it flippantly. I just kind of breeze past it. I've said the last enemy to be defeated was death when Paul writes about that. But the reason he says that even kind of flippantly when he says it is this, because when Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death. What what does that mean? We won't die? No, no, no. What it means is that when we face our last breath here, that we get to enter into the arms of Jesus on the other side of eternity in a place that you and I can't even begin to fathom, that John and Revelation could barely put words to. And so as, as we look at the whole of our lives being in that place where, look, if all I had was enough clothes to keep me warm and a meal in my belly, would I be content? It's not that we can't enjoy or be blessed by other things. We do and we are. But at the end of the day, there's always reason to be grateful. Whether your list is long and abundant and life's great, or it's short and challenging, and you're like, oh, my God's Christ. Like, all I can hold on to right now is my faith. It's not a matter of being immune to tough things, but holding on to, try, to Christ knowing and trusting that he knows our circumstances. As I wrap this up, I, I mentioned those verses by Paul who says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. But don't forget, first of all, that's Philippians that he wrote from jail. And second of all, two verses before that, he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Father, today, God, I believe once again, it's this this view of maturity thing about our faith. That God, we can be so grateful for a lot of great things we get to enjoy. But even when the list is short, can we still hold on to being grateful? And I pray in the world that we live in that this is not a message about the holidays, really. It's a message about living every day with a spirit of gratitude, that we're not entitled, that that we're not bratty little kids of our heavenly father demanding that God march to our tune, but that God, we live in a certain way of humility, God bringing before you, hey Lord, I know I'm not perfect and, and, and I'm a mess, I'm grateful for Jesus and God, here's some things that are going on, help. Father, help us live grateful. Pray things like this can reshape how we look at gratitude every day and let it be a lifestyle in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.